Decisions that took seconds to make cost me 22 and a half years of my life. My name is Ray Aguilar, your host. Welcome to Hope's Podcast, helping other people elevate. First, let me begin by telling you a little bit about myself. On March 16, 2020, I was released from prison after 22 and a half years of incarceration after being found suitable by the Board of Prison Terms. At the age of 19, I was convicted for felony murder and sentenced to 28 years to life. At the time, I was a newlywed. My wife had given birth to our beautiful little daughter. And so both of them were in desperate need of a man to to step up and be responsible and fulfill my responsibilities to both of them in securing their future and providing them with both with the life that they had desired. But unfortunately, uh, mentally, I was far from where I should have been as a person. Because early on, I began to, early on in my childhood, I began to associate with gangs, became a gang member. And the exposure to the criminal lifestyle became so entrenched in my life that all I knew was criminal activity. And that criminal activity landed me in jail, facing a prison sentence of 28 years to life. Early on in my incarceration, I felt the weight of failure, disappointment. The man that I had become was not the one that I had desired to be. I was disgusted with myself. And so I became desperate, desperate for change, desperate for something else. At that point, I had accepted the fact that I would die in prison, but that still didn't appease the desperation that 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 I felt inside my spirit to to want something better for myself and to hope to to right my wrongs. Um, so I began to to seek help from individuals. I began to take advantage of. Uh, programs that were provided in the institution. Um, Early on, it it was men who came across my path who took the time to bring me into their narrative and begin to share their stories with me and and begin to show me what they were doing. Because I began my sentence on a level four prison. And as some of you know, on a level four prison, there's not too much that the institution provides as far as self-help and rehabilitation because of the prison politics, it doesn't allow for it Uh, with constant lockdowns from, from riots to um, institutional lockdowns, you name it, prevents any programs from continuing. So during those years of, of uh, being incarcerated on a level four prison, it was men who took the time to share with me their life lessons and who I began to see that despite the fact that they were in prison for whatever brought them to prison, they weren't the same men because they were already changing. They were already 
undergoing their own metamorphosis. And so uh, that change I desired for myself. And they began to speak powerful words of life into my spirit and telling me and encouraging me and things that uh, and suggestions that I should do early on in my prison sentence. And so um, I started to get involved in self-help. And in the process of getting involved in self-help, it, it was with no agenda other than to better understand myself and begin to work on my, and to start the process of working on my issues. At the time, I didn't understand it. I didn't see it that way. But that's what the outcome was. Because as I started to take these groups, and mind you, just a little disclosure, the groups that I was taking, majority of those groups weren't provided by the institution per se. Yeah, yes, they were uh, approved by the institution, but these were groups that men uh, who were in similar situations as myself, who, who did the work and got the help that they needed, these were groups that they put together to assist their fellow peers. And so I'm thankful for them, men, because they took the time. They're recovered. They went beyond just helping themselves, but looking to help uh those around them, which I'm, I'm sure that was their their way of making amends. And so these groups that I began to uh, take and, and, and participate in, they started to teach me about myself. They started to uh, peel back the layers, if you will, of of all this, all these things that I had that I was suppressing and, and, and not comfortable talking about. Um, I started to to think about childhood trauma and um, just the lifestyle that I was exposed to at an early age. Now, my parents, they were 13 and 14 when they had me. So you can imagine their parental skills. They were themselves children, as they say, children having children. And on top of that, uh, they too were, were gang members. And so technically, I was a second generation gang member. And what I realized is that my father early on in my uh, childhood brought me into his reality of fatherlessness. And so I found solace in gangs um, as, as a way of escaping uh, the things that I was exposed to early on in, in, in childhood. But this is not really a segment that I want to get too in-depth into those things. I just, I really want to let you know a little bit about my process of change, how, I, how I've uh, worked hard to rehabilitate myself, and the motivation of putting together this podcast. So as I'm taking all these self-helps and begin to work on myself and begin to um, confront the person that I was, I was forced to make some very uh, life-changing decisions. And I started to disassociate from gangs. And now I was sober. And being sober gave me uh, uh, clarity for my life. So I, start, I, I continued with self-help uh, for quite some time. And just to kind of give you an idea of some of the uh, life lessons that I've learned just by participating in self-help. I remember there was an entire year that I, I participated in NA early on in my in my incarceration. And I would hear these stories, men, uh, talking about how bad they got 
all on drugs and none of their stories resonated with me because I remember just sitting there thinking to myself, man, I never got that bad. I would never do that. And and it wasn't until God really pressed upon my heart that I was worse than that. And the reason I was worse than that is because I was the one who was pumping my community with drugs. I was the cause of everything that that, that man did to, to, to pursue drugs from criminal lifestyle to child neglect to, to uh, 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 prostitution, you name it, because I was the one that was exploiting their vulnerabilities by selling them drugs and irregardless of what it took for them to get the money to pay for them drugs. And when God said, when God pressed that upon my heart, it really broke me. And I began to really uh, sit in NA with a renewed uh, attention and, and, and alert to what I was listening to because I realized that they were talking about me. So it was things like that that I began to experience throughout my participation in self-help that really helped me to uh, experience my own metamorphosis, my own changing, begin to cha- challenge my, my belief system and expose all my character defects that, that brought me to prison. I participated in self-help for quite some time to the point that I began to put together curriculums. I began to uh, uh, look for ways to, to serve uh, the inmate population with uh, groups that I know would that they would benefit from. Um, I started to educate myself. You know, I was fortunate to, to have my, my, my family support. My parents, this, this entire situation really brought us together. Uh, it drew us closer to God. And in the process of draw, drawing us closer to God, we drew closer to each other. And so all throughout my incarceration, they've been a tremendous blessing to me. They've been there. They've struggled to make sure that you know I had what I needed. And so in the process, I, I didn't want to disappoint them. And so I, I educated myself. I found myself uh, participating in uh, the college program that the institution provided. I earned myself uh, degrees. I, had a, I have an associate's degree in business. I have an associate's degree in behavioral social science. Uh, I, I'm certified as a drug and alcohol specialist, one and two. I've taken all the education that the institution allows for. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to achieve a, a bachelor's because uh, they didn't have at the time they didn't have the program that uh, offered the bachelor's program. But I, I took that education and tried to uh, provide it to my peers through the form of self-help groups. So when I finally went to the board, the board uh, after. It took, an, it took uh, an hour and a half, and um, they asked me about my childhood. They asked me about my gang affiliation, why I made the choices that I made. And so after an hour and a half, the commissioner said I had tremendous insight into my lifestyle choices and that I would live a very pro-social lifestyle, that I had lived a very pro-social lifestyle in prison and that I would continue out in society. And so uh, they deemed me suitable for parole at my initial hearing. And um, just just real quick, this is not for me 
I'm not trying to create a platform to tell you what to toot my horn or tell you all the good things that I've done. No, this is a platform that uh, I'd like to utilize to to help families, to help individuals who are in my similar uh, who are who are in my similar situation, um, and the general public. You know, because had it not been for someone taking the time to invest their time and to really educate me as to my my issues of being a lifer and the hurdles that I would have to overcome, I wouldn't understand the nature of my fight. And so uh, I'm thankful. And this is my opportunity to give back, to give back in the form of creating this platform to help guys who are still fighting the good fight in, in, in prison, as well as guys who are recently paroled and, and are trying to navigate you know, um, I recently talked to a friend of mine who was paroled after 25 years, and I asked him, how do you feel? And he says, I feel overwhelmed. I'm scared. So this this podcast is for uh, brothers like that who uh, have an outlet to, that they can listen to, that can assist them and give them some perspective. Um, another motivation of mine is to, to help families impacted by incarceration. See, because I know a lot of guys are like me. I try to shelter my family. It's bad enough I felt like I had failed them. I had disappointed them. So I try to shelter them while I was incarcerated of everything that was going on in prison. I would just shoulder it. I, when they when I would call, they would ask me, how's everything? And I would just tell them all the good things. Oh, everything's fine. And, and I, would, I, would, I would be wrestling or I'd be at the brink of just despair um, just because I didn't want to trouble them anymore. And so... I'm hoping that this podcast would help educate families that are impacted by incarceration on how to support their loved ones, how to be there, you know, the, from the from the littlest things, you know, um, of just being present, uh, being able uh, to 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 have somewhere to call, um, just to give you an idea of how instrumental the things that you can do uh, to promote change. Early on in my incarceration, I remember sitting in the county jail. And I was still um, fighting this case, you know, as they refer to it. And uh, I was called to the chaplain's office. And at the time, I had no intentions on changing. I was, you know, fresh off the streets. Off the streets, I was still um, in a drug-induced coma, basically. And uh, the chaplain said, uh, "I got a message here. I have a message from your mother." And he got my attention when he said that because initially I was like, well, "Why'd you call me? I, I didn't, I didn't sign up for, for, for the chapel." And he said, once he said he had a, a message from my mother, he had my attention, and so he handed me a Bible and he said she wanted me to give you this. Now for an entire year I didn't open that Bible, but the fact that it came from my mother, and I realized that I probably never see her again, that I would die in prison. Those little mementos were, were now precious. They were dear to me. And so I kept that Bible wherever I went. Like I said, I didn't crack it open, but it was it was with me. I made sure that it, it was on my personal property, wherever my travelings took me. But then there was those moments. And the quiet of the night, when nothing else was going on, I, I began to crack that book. And I began to read. And it began to open my eyes and begin to reveal things about myself that I didn't quite know. And it began to cause me to question a lot of things. And so my mom didn't know what, what was going to transpire by her doing that. 
but it was enough to get my attention. And so that little act of kindness and her desperation, it reaps so much reward because that, I believe, is how I came to encounter God. And I began to develop a relationship with God and and begin to nurture it over the years. And ultimately, um, I believe that, you know, looking back over the course of my incarceration, that, you know, God began to father me in a way that my father was incapable of fathering me. And so uh, little things like that made a world of difference. And so I'm hoping that, you know, families through hearing men's testimonies and the things that we speak about, that they too will gain some perspective on how to support their loved one. And another motivation of mine is is just to educate the general public. As we know, CDC has a a closed door policy. Basically, they they lack the transparency that's needed to really um, redo the prison system, uh, renovate it, if you will. there is no, there's limited oversight. All the changes that are being made right now that are taking place are because of voters. Voters getting involved and intervening and uh, changing the laws. Because had it not been for voters, uh, things would still be uh, the way they were. The Iron Curtain, as, as they refer to it. No one getting out. And so... Um, we hope that as we share our testimonies, as we talk about the things that are going on, that it will bring some insight to voters so that they could be better informed to make uh, decisions. You know, I'm I'm actually a, a recipient of uh, SB 261, which is uh, because I was 19 years old at the time of my incarceration, that after uh, comp- after finishing 20 or 25 years to, uh, of incarceration that I can go before a board and that they can determine my suitability. There's some guys who are in prison who have 80 years to life at the age of 16. And so um, studies have shown that, that men who are adolescents and making uh, life-changing decisions, they do change. They do change. Uh, throughout the course of their life. And so it's uh, SB 261 was, well, the intention was to give us an opportunity to become, uh, uh, to come back into society and, and be able to contribute. And um, because it's the, it was the belief that we can change. And as so many are, are proving to be true, um, the lifer recidivism rate is, uh, I think 1%. So um, thank you to the voters. Thank you for uh, caring enough to, to do something about it. Because had had no intervention take place, taking place, I'd still be sitting in prison uh, with a prison sentence of 28 years to life. Um, so... I thank you. Thank you for uh, your participation in this process. Uh, any questions, we ask that you would pose them. Um, and everyone, just another disclosure, 
everyone who is interviewed on this podcast, they too have worked themselves out of prison by working on themselves and, and who were they who were deemed uh, suitable by the Board of Prison Terms. And so um, many of them have, are, are, are not only law-abiding, but they are taxpaying citizens. They're contributing to their community through um, nonprofit organizations. Um, they uh, are, you know, essential workers right now during this pandemic. So uh, there's a lot to gain by listening to this podcast. Uh, any suggestions are welcome. Any topics that you would like for us to address, uh, we're, we're, we welcome. And so uh, with that, thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us this day. Uh, this is Hope, helping other people elevate.